millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, this is Scott. And before we get into today's episode, I just want to say a thank you to our listeners who have stuck with us this year. After Andy's long reign as host, I took over hosting duties and I really didn't know what to expect earlier in the year, but You've stuck with us, you've given me a shot, and I've had a lot of fun on this podcast this year, and I'm really excited to continue to develop the podcast into next year. A quick thanks to all of our guests that have appeared on the podcast. I and we at Site Visibility really do appreciate the time you take out of your your day to share your experiences and your expertise with us, and I'm sure that's something our, our listeners share as well. And I'm a podcast listener, so you know, I know how important podcasts have been for me in 2020 and um, whether that's just for education, entertainment or escapism, you're giving us your time and that's something I'm really conscious of. So I want to make sure that I continue to bring you the most interesting marketing insights and advice into 2021. I've got a few quick requests before we get started with the episode today. I really want to get to know our listeners a little bit better. And so if you're listening and you're a regular listener, I want to feature you on the podcast. I want to get to know you better. So whether you've learned through our podcast, whether you've just got a growth story to share, marketing advice to share, if this is something you're interested in, please just message me at scott.colnut at sitevisibility.com or hit any of our contact options that I share in the show notes, as I'd really like to hear from you. The second thing is just to review us. We I don't really ask for requests to review on every episode. I think that can become a little bit irritating. But it's the end of the year, and if you've stuck with us and you're really enjoying the the episodes that we share and the knowledge that we share on our podcast, please do take some time to review us on your platform of choice. That really helps us out. And lastly, if you're looking for an agency and you want to grow your company through marketing in 2021, don't look any further. We're here, we practice what we preach, and we produce this podcast, and we have produced this podcast for a long time because we want to share insider tips and advice in marketing and make that accessible to everyone. That's something that carries through right through our agency. And so if you're there, you're thinking about hiring an agency next year to work with, please get in contact. Again, all of the details are in the show notes. And for now, I'll just wish everyone a very successful 2021. I hope you've enjoyed your holidays and uh, that you'll stay in good health into next year as well. And thanks for continuing to listen. This is Internet Marketing.
Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. Today I'm here with Kirsty Hulse and we're going to be talking about all things humour in leadership. And it's 5pm on a Friday night on the, I think it's the 18th of December. I know for me this is one of the, well this is definitely going to be the last podcast I think I'll record for the Internet Marketing Podcast this year. And it's one of the last things I have to do in my working year. So I'm somewhere at the moment between elated and deflated. It's a really weird place to be. I imagine a lot of our listeners are in that place too. And Kirsty, I, I, uh, I saw, I think it was a LinkedIn post from you where uh, you were talking about all of the Zoom recordings, webinars and things that you've been on this year. So I imagine you're in a pretty similar place. Scott, I am running on fumes, but I'm exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> you are not getting me at my best. Your listeners are not getting me at my best. <laughs> so, it's, so it's only downhill from here then? It's just downhill. It's downhill from, from here on out. I'll be slurring and, and babbling nonsense. <laughs> no, same with you. This is my, I think my last thing to do. I've got a few more bits to wrap up. In between elated and deflated, could not better articulate exactly where I am. I'm a shell of a woman, um, <laughs> and I'm so happy. <laughs> so, uh, for our listeners, Kirsty, uh, you may have heard Kirsty from the marketing world. Um, Kirsty, you founded a marketing agency. Mm-hmm. You're a speaker. You're founder now of Raw Training, and I'm sure we're going to t- talk about training and coaching and, and that world. But before we go into depth about humor and leadership and creativity and maybe marketing, do you want to provide a brief introduction to our listeners about you, the mission you're on? Of course. So, yeah, like you said, so I, I started out in, in SEO and digital marketing in the agency world, I was in that space for a long time. And I started speaking and I was speaking at lots of events. I was Back in the day when I first started speaking, maybe 2009, 2010, I was nearly always the only woman. So mm-hmm. I started, I guess my my journey is I started giving free presentation training to women to try and level the professional playing field. And at that time, I was running Many Minds, the agency. It was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you might know this. It was just turning into this like beast that I hadn't set out intentionally to create. And I realized that running an agency is you have to really want it. And it's because it's a lot of work and I didn't want it enough. And then I started doing this work around training and leadership and it just felt so much more me and it felt so much more natural and normal for me to do that. So I founded Raw Training a couple of years ago and I've I've been focusing on that ever since really. And we help businesses, you know, like you said, uh, be more confident, be more creative, be more playful and all of those things that I guess come more naturally to me. That's really interesting and something I hadn't really thought to ask, but was that like, was there like a single trigger moment that you, like an aha moment where you thought, oh, actually this marketing thing isn't for me and maybe this other area is, or just did it happen naturally over time? That's such a nice question. Thank you for asking. And there was, there was a very specific moment. Um, Our biggest client at Many Minds, they sent an email and it was coming up to contract renewals and they sent an email they're like love the work really great um so let's just renew the contract procurement will want you to do a three-year extension so we'll just get that going and the words three-year extension i was just it just hit me and if they'd gone you know we'll just go on to a rolling contract i think i might still be doing it now <laughs> but it right. forced me to reflect and in that moment i just went oh no i just and i knew then that i didn't want to sign that and because they were our biggest contract it just 
kind of put, there'd been a few things happening. I'd done some coaching training at that point. And I think in that moment, it all kind of came together. And I was like, oh, I, I know now that I don't want to be doing this in three years. Then it just made that very clear for me. So the reason I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, again, I didn't mention in the intro there, but you're also a stand-up comedian. Mm. And um, humour for me personally has a big role to play in leadership. So I'm managing director at Site Visibility. I'm essentially responsible for managing, coaching, motivating a team in an agency environment. So I guess exactly the type of person that uh, kind of might come to you for your support and help and expertise. I've always valued in my experience humor from managers and mentors in my career and actually just colleagues it's you talk about it on your website but the agency environment is a really it's it's a challenging environment Mm -hmm. people uh, make make or break an agency and yeah for me I just I value the role of humor in the agency environment and I'm just I guess I'm really curious from your experiences in that was it ever difficult for you to to lead with humour? What challenges did you face when you were leading with humour? Do you know, my answer to that question, actually, Scott, is it was difficult for me to not lead with humour in the sense that it is so ingrained in me. Like, I deeply believe, like, so to my core that laughter is the smallest distance between two people. I come from a family where like humor's at its core. I've got five older brothers. The way we communicate is through humor. I didn't ever know anything different. And actually, so for me, my learning had to be early in my career was to temper that. <laughs> um, because for me, I'm very, very, very informal. Yeah. And I think that really resonates with some people, really doesn't resonate with others. And, you know, that's okay. And so for me, my challenge was to figure out how to find that balance between humor, play, silliness, and still being considered to be taking things seriously and to be competent. They're not mutually exclusive. You can absolutely Mm. do both. But I think there's a line, and I think that's a line I am always walking. (laughs) Mm. And, I, and I wanted to know, since uh, I was touching on, so you just mentioned you've kind of always been playful, always had that, I think, with your siblings, you just mentioned there. And from the, I wanted to know whether your, and I don't know this from reading about you, whether stand-up comedy came from your exploration of exploring that playfulness, or whether you intentionally went into that field at that particular time to, Um, when you had the idea to kind of coach and to be a motivational speaker and to get into that world. So was it, was it the goal to become a stand-up comedian or did stand-up comedy help inform those other roles? So stand-up, I started in stand-up, so classic, after a messy breakup and I wanted to redefine myself, textbook. And (laughs) people had been saying to me for years that I should do stand-up and I was like, no, no, no. And then I did, but that was a while, that was 2015. And actually I started doing stand-up pretty much the same month, the same year as I founded Many Minds. And actually it was really lovely because I just started this agency and our, our first client was Virgin Atlantic. So it got, it was big, quick. There wasn't much of like a run-up. It was like straight, straight in. And actually having this outlet, this creative outlet of, of stand-up was perfect actually because it's so different and for me I started doing stand-up but then I did a few stand-up courses and I just learned the craft of writing jokes and I really believe that 
if, if someone has a bit of an interest in it, it is without a doubt the best uh, tool to learn confidence, creativity, writing that I think there is. I'm so passionate about the impact stand-up can have on someone's professional competence. It's really, really powerful. That leads nicely into what I wanted to ask you anyway. So maybe just speaking more practically, can you speak about some examples in your career? And that could be whether it's historically through marketing or currently through training and coaching, how stand-up informs your work? Maybe some practical examples. Mm, Lovely. Okay. So practice. Actually, brevity and practice is what I learned in stand-up. So when I, before I started doing stand-up, I would deliver a speech or a presentation, whether that's to one person, 10 people, 100 people, and I would just go in and do it. Mm started doing stand-up and I very quickly learned that actually every single word counts. In stand-up, there's a theory called word economy. And that is basically the more words you use broadly, the less funny the joke. Not always, not always, but often we can lose a punchline in an explanation and we can over-talk. So this concept of articulating your message in as few words as possible, that's a skill I really learned in stand-up. Because when you first start doing stand-up, they have something called the type five, which is basically where you have five minutes, that's it. And you start with five minutes because it's some of the it's hard to do that. It's hard to get across your material in five minutes. And it has to be succinct and clear. And you learn to do that through knowing exactly what it is that you want to say and writing it out and then practicing it. And then that's a skill that I then brought into my speaking. It's a skill I brought into my emails. It's a skill I brought into certainly difficult feedback conversations. That brevity is really important. And I think going through the process of really honing the ability to (laughs) articulate messages quickly and clearly. And I started laughing because I realized perhaps maybe I'm not doing that now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that self-doubt creeps in and like, oh, maybe I'm waffling. feel like I'm waffling. <laughs> no, to be honest, to be honest, you were doing fine. But uh, it's it's funny how you, it's funny how there's a part of your brain there that says, "Oh, come on, shut up." Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that that's one of the main things that I I learned through stand up. And in terms of its practical applications, it is this theory of of word economy. And in stand up, you also have something called stacking. And I use this in my confidence and presentation coaching. And stacking is when you have a setup for a joke or a punchline and then you add something else onto it and then you've lost the original thought or idea. And we can also see this in communication. So for example, and you'll be really good at this and you're not stacking is interviewers or uh, leaders may ask a question and go, okay, so how do you feel about this? And in terms of what do you think went wrong? And, And by that, I mean, so what do you think maybe we could do better next time? And suddenly we've lost the whole question. We've lost the original point. And this idea of stacking is when you say one thing, another thing, another thing, another thing, and then you've lost the power and the pertinence of the original point. And people tend to do it when we're nervous. And I'm sure there'll be people listening because I use it a lot in my coaching who will be like, yes, I definitely stack. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm conscious of the of what you're saying. And 
I know that I've done that before and I can think to instances where I've done that and thought, oh, I should have just stopped after the first sentence. Mm-hmm. What, what I'm curious about as you're talking there, I mean, it applies to copywriting, what you're saying as well, which is an area that I love, the the ability to succinctly deliver a message by honing that brevity. But Are I'm you curious really to know of stacking now? Have I made you very self-conscious? No, nah, sometimes I like talking as well. So I'm, go- I'm going to do both. <laughs> I'm going to face it head on. So uh, the other thing that I'm curious about is, uh, you made me lose my train of thought. The other thing that I was curious about, oh, are there any stand-up comedians that you think apply that particular practice really well? Oh, all of them. I'd, oh, um, Do you think it's something applicable to all comedians? Every single word a stand-up utters is considered. Every single one. No word goes wasted. And if, if if anybody here is a fan of a stand-up and maybe goes to watch a show twice and you watch exactly the same show, exactly the same word, every single word is important. And so I think that idea that there is no unimportant adjective, it all amounts and it's all equally crucial, I think is a really nice... Um, idea and theory to think about in in marketing like even in instagram captions this stuff really counts and even the principle you're saying of brevity even if not used in the role of humor so let's say you're a leader you've got to have a difficult conversation you know maybe it's a performance related conversation or a conversation with a difficult client do you think that principle can still be applied to deliver a, a message powerfully completely especially if you think about um So setting boundaries, so setting professional boundaries with clients or with each other, that's one of the main things we have to do. It's one of the hardest things we have to do. And I'm kind of overlapping maybe into another area now, but I think that's okay. Um, And so when we have these difficult conversations, it doesn't feel good. Like it really doesn't feel good. And if you're saying to a client, for example, that they are delaying the project because they're disorganized and not replying to your emails quick enough. Like, I know we all have (laughs) worked with a client like that, and you actually have to set that boundary. You know, often without the brevity, we'll say things like, you know, um, I think it would be really good if maybe we could have a time in the diary when you could get back to us, because it's going to be really important that if you can sign off on this work and the quicker you can sign off on the work, and, you know, the more we can do, and then we'll be able to deliver those better results versus... Is it possible in the future if you have a four-day window when you can sign this off? Is that something you can do? Thank you. And it just uh, it's so much more powerful. And when we think about setting boundaries and having difficult conversations, keeping them short and succinct is really key, I think. And the way we do that is through practice and consideration. Going back to the role of humour in conversation. So I, I think of humour, and I think most people think that, Oh, humor is probably really powerful in terms of diffusing a difficult situation. But are there any other roles, particularly in agency environments, because that's the world that you kind of work in and train in? Um, so the role of humor in agency environments beyond just diffusing situations that you think can be really powerful for? You know, that's interesting, actually. Thank you for asking that, because I don't think a place of humor is diffusing difficult situations. I actually think that's when humor can maybe misfire, just instinctively, just because I think sometimes when we're having difficult conversations, it's a difficult conversation. It has to be taken quite seriously. And I think that's sometimes when humour can maybe not perhaps be sensitive. For me, I think where humour has its real value is actually just in every 
day ongoing those kind of always on conversations and I think Mm -hmm. where it really really has impact is when when used on self you know I think we can become more approachable more likable when we mock ourselves I think being able to laugh at yourself is um, very humbling and I think can really bring people together. Self-deprecation is one of those things that I agree. I often see it as a catalyst, like you said, that can bring people together and it gives everyone a room, a little bit more room to breathe and relax a little bit more. I think if you see someone that's a mentor, mentor or in a leadership position that perhaps doesn't take themselves too seriously in that respect, they're willing to be self-deprecating. That can be quite a comforting thing. Yeah, and I also think there's a worry that I think people think that being self-deprecating is diminishing of confidence. But my perception is the exact opposite. That if somebody is comfortable enough with their flaws and their weaknesses, and we all have them, and if somebody is comfortable enough to look at themselves, call them out and make a joke about it, for me, that's confidence rather than the other way around. And I think, and it's also worth saying, this is very subjective. I think some people respond very, very well to this, others not so much. But I think broadly, as a leader, if you can point at your mistakes and your flaws and joke about them in a way that is still pragmatic and compassionate, then I think it's a very powerful tool. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And speaking about humor and power and the power that humor has one thing i'm really interested is the area of self-confidence and you've touched on that several times during that opening kind of discussion and i feel sad when i think about people that humor could be their biggest skill or their biggest asset but perhaps they're in environments where they don't get to practice that skill or utilize that asset to make themselves and their colleagues happier and i don't know why that might be that could be actually that's a good question for you how can leaders encourage a culture where humor is kind of accepted we talked about separate self-deprecation maybe being one way to do that are there any others that you think where leaders particularly in agency environments can make that more acceptable and for people where humor is a natural part of their character encourage them to bring that out in their work 
There's a quote by John Cleese. Okay. And he said, if you want creative workers, give them room to play. (laughs) Um, And so I think it's just creating that space for silliness. And, you know, bringing silliness into corporate environments can sometimes feel a bit like um, kitsch or a bit eye rolly, but I think there's loads of really, really cool ways to do this. So I was actually reading a study that some academics have done on the importance of humor and business and actually meeting effectiveness. And so these academics had two control groups of some people who had just a normal standard everyday meeting, then the other control group who had a silly meeting. And so they did very different ways to like bring that silliness in. But one of the ways they did it was (laughs) they got the participants of the meeting to play a secret game where half of the people in the meeting knew what the rule was and the other half didn't. And the rule was that if someone in the meeting touched their face, then somebody else in the meeting had to put their hands in the air and go, isn't life beautiful? And so just that like subtle silliness in a meeting where half of the people know that you and I are in a meeting, Scott, I'm in on it, you're not. If you touch your face and I go, thank you so much for those figures and reports, Scott, I just very quickly want to inject just to check in with everyone because isn't life beautiful? It's just ridiculous. And so that was one of the examples that the academics used but I think for me is you know creating a culture of play and there's lots of books on this like lego is used a lot as a corporate tool and being able to do this bringing toys into meetings and I think what I found because I do a lot of like improv and stand-up exercises in my confidence work is it takes a bit of time for people to warm up to it but then suddenly Mm. we start to play because we do know how to do that we just forget Interesting. And and this is something I wanted to ask about as well. So that's a good transition into this area. So I wanted to ask about the topic of some people are going to be sitting there and thinking, okay, maybe I know that humor could be useful, but I'm just not a funny person. And I'm curious to know from your perspective, do you think that everybody has funny or everyone has humor in them? Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So you think it's just the the culture that needs to bring that out in them? Yeah. And I think sometimes we think of humor as being the creators of humor rather than the receivers of humor. Hmm. And so it's not about being funny. You know, we don't all have to be able to write a joke or make a room laugh. Although I do think everybody can. I, I think everybody has that capability. Some are just more comfortable with it than others. And that's that's okay. We're all super different. But I think I, I don't think there is a person on the planet who cannot laugh. It's our most true genetic expression, I think. And so I think it's just about creating the ways in which we can just ease the reins a little bit in workplaces. And I often think that comes from the top down. And just allowing a bit of, and and I think I keep coming back to this. I think maybe rather than humor, it's the clo- It's more of a play because humor feels a bit more structured, whereas play yeah. is a bit more of an open expression. On a speaking practical terms, I'm actually thinking about myself in this situation. So, and there's going to be other agency owners. Again, it's tough in an agency environment as it is at um, just life in general, mm-hmm. just because it's busy, dynamic. I think somewhere you reference on your website that's typically more of a, you know, most agencies are made up of younger staff. Mm-hmm. Younger people go through different things, older people. And there's, you, you know, you're at that point in your career in your 20s and 30s um, in particular where you don't really know, kind of a lot of people don't really know where they're going or they're just finding their own character. 
they're finding themselves and you've got lots of people experiencing that at the same time in an agency environment it's very difficult so as a leader i'm looking at that and then it, this year you know we're in in the pandemic and the the volatility that causes agencies and the unusual unusual situations that have occurred this year just causes more stress more anxiety and so i'm i'm looking at ways myself and i'm sure a lot of other people are to think okay how can i ease anxiety ease stress i think comedy humor has a big role to play in that but i want to go beyond that and create a culture as you've just described where it becomes a habit it becomes play it becomes a thread within the culture Are there any other practical ways in which me and other agencies can do that so I think for me, and this is so tricky, isn't it? Because trying to, you know, like, I, I can't help but think of David Brent, you know, when you think of someone trying to create a funny corporate, well, the thing, yeah. <laughs> corporate culture. You can't force it. You can't, can't force, force it. it. You yeah. can't. And so I, I think for me, it's perhaps not about how you cultivate humor. I think the question mm. is more about how you make sure you're not not cultivating humor if that that makes sense because I think so often we it's actually more about a removal of the need for business to be serious I think that's the first the place to come at it from rather than thinking about you know how we can make everybody laugh in these meetings that's too difficult I think but actually I think if the question is how can we make sure that we're not taking everything so seriously and I think if that's a question, then that's much more answerable and perhaps appeals to, you know, the other areas you alluded to, like obviously now like stress, work-life balance, mm-hmm. and actually just softening the edges of agency environments. They're busy, they're fast-paced, we all have deadlines to hit, but we can absolutely soften the edges of them through thinking about the ways in which we can just take the whole thing less seriously. Hmm. And I wanted to understand a little bit more about the training that you provided and um, this is quite a, a loaded question, but I'm interested in any examples of and it could be from people that you've trained and and you've transformed them or their agencies through your training. Because um, I'm interested in kind of your anecdotal experience of people that have been transformed through humor. But on a similar train of thought there, I'm also would love to hear from any examples of brands that you think have been transformed through their use of humor. Mm, interesting. Okay, so... In terms of the way in which I aim to transform others, my main lane is confidence. Mm. And I use humor as a Trojan horse almost, because when we talk about confidence, I'll use this as an example because it's it's huge in agencies. It's one of our biggest agency challenges and consequently opportunities. If you can create a team that's willing to advocate, speak on stages, deal with client conflict compellingly, all of those brilliant things. But actually what we're dealing with here is vulnerability, fear. Um, it's often quite heavy topics. And so when you use humor as a way to approach that, then that becomes a lot easier. So in terms of examples, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people that are now speaking at events that otherwise wouldn't have been because of the work that I've done with them. But I'm trying to think of what the best answer to your question is. Are you looking for specific examples of how to do this? <laughs> I want a feel I want a feel good story. Oh you I want, want a story. To know, yeah, I think so. I think I want um I'm thinking about 
yeah, I, I think it would be interesting to hear about whether it's, it doesn't have to be in an agency environment, but whether it's someone you've trained or so, uh, an agency that you've coached that, uh, or a person that you've coached or trained that's gone through this experience of using humor to build their confidence and transform themselves or their agency. Or perhaps if you've got any examples that come to mind of, even if you haven't worked with them, brands that you think have done that, that you're aware of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many. So yeah, I, I think the, for me, there's been so many, so many times. And I think this is the main driver for perhaps why I, I do what I do. And I think confidence and play is so important. There's been so many times when I've gone into businesses or worked with individuals and someone has um, said to me, I never, ever put myself forward for opportunities. Mm. People will email me and say, do you want to speak at this event? And I will always say no. And then through just playing and even, and it's different for everyone. There's like hundreds of different techniques I use and some of them are stand-up based. And so some people really resonate with that. And actually I have a story. So there was a time I worked with a wealth management firm. And so not an agency, but it was what I was expecting to be an incredibly tough crowd. So it was what exactly if I say to you, Scott, imagine the most corporate finance company you can imagine what you're picturing that (laughs) yep so it was that and they were trying to work with basically people who worked in the tech space people who were making a bit more money and were maybe a bit younger and weren't their typical client and so they wanted to learn how to communicate to the children (laughs) basically was the brief i got And I got two of these wealth management people through improv exercises to pretend to be a table. And I went into that thinking, this is going to be awful. They are not going to resonate with my work. We all have our biases, right? And I brought my biases into that meeting. Mm. I had expectations that they would be serious and stuffy and wouldn't like my work. But I went in and at first they were that, were often cautionary when I say, I'm going to do some stand-up and improv exercise with you now. People are normally like, oh, this is going to be the worst. Uh, And then both of them pretended to be a table. They were laughing. They were giggling. They were playing. And about a week later, they removed soup policy from the business. <laughs> and so, well, that's, in- yeah, so that's just a tiny yeah. little win of getting some people to pretend to be a table in a boardroom and then having like an actual impact in terms of what they deem to be important and how they project themselves. And I think there has been that shift in terms of how we allow people to show up in business. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you gave that example. It's just led me to a question which I'd actually forgotten about prior to this episode. Uh, I, I thought about it about two weeks ago and then I've forgotten it and I've just remembered it again. And I'm interested to know from a training perspective. So again, lots of people listening to this are familiar, are familiar with team building exercises that are, the intention is to bring people together. And you've just talked about how you approach that from the the angle of comedy or, or humor but i think the effects of those one-off training sessions can sometimes feel short-lived so you have a really mm-hmm. great time sometimes on the day or sometimes not so much i'm sure we've all known those team building days as well but then you go away and then you don't apply it to your agency longer term so is there anything that you think you do uniquely within your training that that gives it some longevity oh lovely question honestly when i first started raw my training was so flash in the pan you know, I went (laughs) and that was okay because I would, you know, people would have a nice day and it was fun and it was great. But in terms of like long-term implementation, that's much harder. And the reason Mm. for that is, and I have an answer to this question that actually 2020 has helped with, 
is I think you have to start any training with an acknowledgement that there is a big difference between learning and transformation. Mm. And even this is a concept that is new to a lot of us. So often we go into training situations as if it were a classroom, because that's what we know. And classrooms tend to be passive environments where you sit back, you are le- you learn stuff and you are taught, you are given information and then you absorb it and then somehow things are different. But actually when we talk about personal professional development, it's very different because it isn't a passive experience. It is, I will give you some tools, some techniques, some frameworks, and then you have to go away and apply them. Because a lot of the work that I do, it's about habit forming, forming different habits, forming different thought processes. And no trainer can do that for somebody. Someone has to do that for themselves. And I think that is the fundamental difference between transformation and learning, because we don't deeply change based on what we know. We deeply change based on how we feel. So we have to take whatever tools, techniques, exercises, and maybe I'll, I'll share one at the end that might help the listeners, tools, techniques, exercises, and then go away and constantly, consistently, consistently reapply to change learning into transformation. I'm interested to know, yeah, one thing that people go away and apply in context of what you were just saying. Okay, perfect. Right. Yeah. So one of the um, a stand-up specific exercise, one of the things I really, really like to do is it's called the expert game. And people have a lot of fun with this and you will have random topics. So some of the topics I use, for example, is interior designs for five pounds or less. The reason everything your parents tell you is a lie, why clowns are evil, the real reason uh, dinosaurs don't exist. So you come up with silly topics like these. Another favorite topic of mine is kitchen utensils throughout history that never caught on. And then the idea is, is you get together as a team and everybody has a minute just a minute and you have to present to the room as if you were an expert on that topic and the reason <laughs> <laughs> and so you get and so you get people opening up talking playing it's a really brilliant exercise to train us it is a skill to think on our feet one of the best things improv can teach you is the ability to think on your feet under pressure, a very valuable skill if you work with clients. <laughs> and so that's a really simple and easy game. And you go around the room, everybody has a minute. And it, the reason I like it is because it's so much easier than you think it is. So, so, so much easier than you think it is to talk about, you know, why I had one time, one time somebody told me, uh, in this exercise that the real reason dinosaurs don't exist is just because of a deep sense of sadness and boredom. And they went off on one and like the room was just crying. And the great thing about this is this is a nice way to bring humor into the workplace where nobody's trying to be funny. All you're doing is trying to talk on a topic you know nothing about for a minute. It's easy and it's silly. And so that's, I think, a practical thing maybe some people can try. I love that. I was we were just playing in our team uh, the game. What's it called? Uh, Quicklash, which is um, you come up with kind of uh, you get questions like that and have to respond to them as a team, and then you vote on the like your favourite answer. That some of the principles are the same, apart from I really love the role playing element of speaking about something seriously that you know nothing about. And as I'm saying that, the little voice in my mind is saying, "You do that on the podcast every week." <laughs> to me. <laughs> 
our natural inclination is to script it. You know, the moment you set the parameters mm. of the game, our brain starts to script it, script it. So you have to do it really, really, really quick so people can't script it. And then you ask <laughs> other people around the room to introduce that person as the expert. So people start saying ridiculous things like, welcome to Dinosaur Conference 2014. Today we have Professor Tiddly Pops. And people just say stupid stuff when you put them on the spot because that's what we do when we're playing. We're still all yeah. just children in suits. <laughs> in this area of resources and exercises, I'm interested to know from you if there is anything else. It could be in the area of leadership and humor specifically. It could just be leadership. Any resources that you'd recommend to our listeners? Oh, lovely question. Thank you. So, um, yes, there's there's tons of stuff. But I think for me, there's a book called um, How to Be a Great Stand-Up by Logan Murray. The reason I like it is it doesn't matter if you ever want to do stand-up or not, but it has lots of games and exercises in it, which you can apply to loads of different contexts. It has writing games, creativity games, and it's just a really brilliant book for any leader to read, actually, to think about how you as an individual can can reconnect to your sense of play. There's a book called a professor called Dr. Robert Epstein, who's done lots of research on play and creativity. And he has a book called um, The Big Book of Creativity Games, I think. And that's huge. And it has so many different exercises and games that you can play. And it's all research-based. Like he's a Harvard professor. Like he knows his shit of things that he's... Uh, done as a researcher to allow people to use play as a way to unlock creativity. Um, so I think those are the two, the two main ones that, that come to mind that I think are easy to read and very practical and have things in there that you can immediately go away and apply to your business. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time out today for yeah, putting a bow on this episode for me as my Christmas present, Christmas present to our listeners. Thank you so much. Although I say that this episode probably won't be published for another couple of weeks, but still the sentiment is there. But before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and raw training? Oh, yes. Um, so my name is Kirsty Hulse and I am, I mean, I mean, I'm incredibly findable on the internet. Um, <laughs> zero, uh, yeah, so Kirsty Hulse. My name is Kirsty Hulse. And uh, if you follow me on social media, that tends to be where I share most of my things. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for having me. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.